Father God, would you please have mercy on us. Speak to us through your word and fill us with this life-giving water. Amen. Would you please be seated. Well, this week, I guess like many of us, I've felt empty. It's that sinking feeling which comes when you hear bad news, like they probably had on the Titanic. Disaster is coming and there's not much that we can do about it. For many of us, coronavirus has already led to a major disruption of plans. Some of our people are not here because they're having to self-isolate. Although my son has taken rather enthusiastically to the idea of self-isolation. One case at the university that he goes to, and he's decided to go off with three of his friends to self-isolate at our cottage. So, um, um, uh, and some have gone out to the dacha. And for those who are older or vulnerable, it is much more scary. In John chapter 4, Jesus meets with the Samaritan woman, and Jesus offers this woman living water. Whoever drinks of this water will never be thirsty again. It will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. Jesus is speaking of the Holy Spirit, but he is using poetic language. We know what it's like to be dry and thirsty physically. Maybe you've been out for a long walk and you're coming back and you're just dying for that drink of water or that pint of beer or whatever it is. And we also know what it is to be dry and thirsty spiritually, longing for a love that will not let us down, uh, for, for that safe place, for something or someone who gives us meaning and hope, who allows our work and our effort to flourish, longing for joy. Well, Jesus offers us this living water, his Holy Spirit, his presence to come and live in us, his love and his renewing life. And when Jesus comes to us, I notice several things. Firstly, we can face up to reality. It's easy to become complacent. We think that we are masters of the world. We think that science or technology or money or education or the security forces or governments mean that we can handle whatever happens. And when there are things that we are unable to manage, things like disease and death, we do the ostrich act. We stick our head into the sand and pretend often that there is no problem. And yet at times like this, we realize we are incredibly fragile and vulnerable. Global warming could wipe us out. So could a new severe ice age brought on by a meteorite strike or a huge volcanic eruption. So could a nuclear war or a global disease. Just like this one, but far, far, far more critical. People say reality is an illusion created by lack of alcohol. It would be a joke if it wasn't actually so tragic for many. 
We refuse to face up to reality. We push it away. We allow other things to crowd it out. We lose it in alcohol or in a hockey or football or gossip or sex or our work or buying stuff. What is interesting is that when Jesus comes close, he exposes the things that we trust in, our false little gods, and we're often forced to face up to our fears, to our mortality, to our emptiness and shallow lives to our sin and our deep vulnerability. And we forget that there is a God, that there are things that are bigger than life and death, that there is an eternal dimension, that we are desperately frail and sinful. We forget that we need God and we need this living water. Jesus meets this woman and allows her to face up to reality. He deals with the elephant that is in the room of her life, but he does it so gently and with such love. He asks her a question or or asks her to bring her husband, which means she has to open herself up to him a little. I don't have a husband, she says. And then all Jesus says is, you're right in saying you have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. Basically, your life's in a bit of a mess. He doesn't say, you wicked woman. doesn't even say, your life's in a bit of a mess. He simply states the fact. You see, we can be honest with Jesus because he knows us, and he knows the elephants that are in our rooms. He knows our emptiness and brokenness and fears and frustrations and sin. And he knows the ways that we try to fill that emptiness, to satisfy that dryness, even when it means we walk away from him. And he still loves us. It's a bit like a small child who breaks a precious vase in the home. They hide the broken vase away and they are terrified that mum might notice that the vase is missing or that she might ask questions. So when they see mum, they run away or they tiptoe around her. They can't face her. But of course, mum knows. And she's sad that they're too afraid to open up to her. So she finally asks, oh, uh, well, she's got some flowers. She says, oh, could you bring a vase to me? You know, maybe that nice vase. Uh, and finally, finally they confess. And they say, Mum, I broke that vase and I'm very sorry. Only to hear Mum say, of course I knew you had. I was just waiting for you to admit it. Don't worry, I've forgiven you. I just needed you to own it. And it's okay. I love you. When Jesus comes close to us, he enables us, just as he enabled this woman of Samaria, to face up to reality. But not in a negative or destructive way. He does it in such a gentle way that builds her up. He does it in love. And secondly, when Jesus comes close to us, we're set free from self-isolation. There are some times when it is right to self-isolate, but there are many times when it is not right. 
this Samaritan woman had self-isolated. She was collecting water at midday. That is odd. You don't go to collect water at midday. It is too hot. And the old preachers say the reason she's there at midday is because she wants to avoid the other women who would collect water later at the usual time. Why? Well, I suspect because of her lifestyle, she would have been a bit of a social outcast. She's self-isolating. But do you notice this woman at the end? Instead of being there on her own, she runs back to her community and she says to everyone, come and meet a man who told me everything that I have ever done. When we allow Jesus to come close to us, we allow him to break down the barriers that we put up between ourselves and other people. Jews do not speak to Samaritans. They hated each other, or perhaps they feared each other. Fear and hate go very close together. But Jesus, a Jew, spoke with her. Indeed, he doesn't just talk to her. He asked her to show him mercy. He asked her if she would give him a drink, which meant that he was willing not only to receive from her, but also to drink from a Samaritan cup which Jews would never do. And men do not speak to women. When the disciples come back, they are astonished to discover that Jesus is talking with a woman. But Jesus does not see a woman. He does not see a Samaritan. He sees a person isolated and full of guilt. And he asks of her mercy first. And he shows her mercy. The story is told of, from the desert's fathers and mothers of the Amma, the desert mother, the spiritual mother, who was walking along the road when three monks came toward her. They jump into a ditch to avoid her because she is a woman who could tempt them. She said to them, if you were truly monks, you would not see me as a woman. There is a real danger that at a time of crisis, fear will trump love. Prejudice will control reason, and we are tempted to withdraw. Just because someone is Chinese or Italian, it doesn't mean that they have coronavirus. Poor Ming has had a really, really difficult time, even though she's been in Russia for all the last few months. And yes, we do need to be sensible and follow the instructions of the authorities, but we were not made to live alone as little islands scattered in a huge ocean. And we need each other, and we cannot do this ourselves. If someone is stuck at home, we may not be able to go in and visit them. We can take stuff round to them. We can be in touch on phone or social media. We need each other. Jesus came to break down barriers and we need to plead with God to pour out on us his Holy Spirit so that we can love one another, so that our love overcomes our fear, so that we are set free from self-isolation. And thirdly, when Jesus meets with this woman, he points her to himself. 
As the encounter with Jesus gets personal, so the Samaritan woman suddenly changes the topic of discussion. She turns it into a discussion about religion. Sir, she says, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors, the Samaritans, worshipped on this mountain, but you, the Jews, say that place where people must worship is Jerusalem. We're very good at doing that. Which version of the Lord's Prayer should I say? What translation of the Bible should I read? What's the difference between Orthodoxy and Anglicanism? I'm not saying that they're not important questions, but I'm saying that we can hide behind those sort of questions and use them as an excuse to avoid the personal encounter of the Lord Jesus. When people ask me, what version of the Lord's Prayer should I pray? I say, really, it doesn't matter, but you need to pray it. (laughs) What version of the Bible should I read? It doesn't matter but you should read it and encounter God through it. And Jesus, it is significant, doesn't back off, actually. He doesn't say, as I suspect that many of us would say, because it's a very 21st century thing to say, well, of course, your way as a Samaritan is absolutely right. You can worship God on that mountain or, uh, you know, on this mountain. Jesus doesn't say that because actually it wouldn't be true. Jesus is very clear. He says salvation is from the Jews, not because the Jews do everything the right way and worship on the right mountain, but because salvation is in him and he is of the Jews. And Jesus goes on to tell her that he is the promised Christ, the promised Messiah. Notice how there is a progression in the titles given to Jesus throughout John 4. In her eyes at first he is a Jew. Then she asks if he is greater than their father Jacob. Then she declares him to be a prophet. Then she runs to her people and says, could this be the Messiah? And when the people of her town meet Jesus, they say, we know that this is truly the saviour of the world. And it's so important that he's the saviour of the world. He's the saviour of Jew and Samaritan and Gentile. He's the saviour of man and woman. He's the saviour of Muslim and Buddhist and Christian and atheist, of Chinese, American, Indonesian, Italian and Russian. And he offers this living water to each of us, to everyone. True religion is about worshipping Jesus in spirit and truth. It's about seeing the truth about ourselves and coming naked and helpless to the Saviour who loves us. It's about asking him to give us this living water. I can't promise you that if you come to Jesus, it will mean that you will not get coronavirus. I can't say that if you come to Jesus, he will protect you or your family or your friends, or even that death will not touch us. But I can say that he is with us, that nothing can separate us from his love. 
that he will, if we ask him, lavish on us, pour out on us this living water. He will fill us with his love so that we can begin to face up to who we are. So that we know deep, deep down in us his security, his purpose, his strength. And so that we begin to glimpse, glimpse in a tiny way his deep love for us and for others. And so that we will begin to love like him. May God in his mercy pour out on us this living water.